Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. So we thought to talk about something relatively simple, but yes, uh, yet um, with profound uh, implications in our practice. Thought about talking about the Tristana method, um, which I'm sure you've probably heard about before. Um, we thought I'd talk a little bit about it from Patabha Joy's point of view, from Erdin's point of view, from Patanjali's point of view, a little beyond that. Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> so in the Ashtanga Yoga method, we have this foundational principle called Tristana, and Patabha Joyce used to refer to this as um, the asanas or the foundation of the physical practice being that there are always asanas present and that within asanas there's always breathing or work that we do to concentrate our attention on the breath and there's always an a, a, what what is referred to as a gazing point or drishti and these three elements are called tristana Patavi Joyce used to say that these three elements are always present in every single ashtanga yoga class Sometimes he referred to them as the poses, the breathing, and the looking, right? And so this is the a rough English translation of the asanas. And we use the asanas, again, as the foundation of the practice. And we use this as kind of the, the benchmark around which the whole methodology really turns. So at the same time, we never want to do the practice missing one element of the Tristana method. So we think of these three prongs as kind of creating a tripod that allows for a firm foundation of the practice. And if you remove one leg of the tripod, then the whole structure will lose its foundational support. So without asanas, we can be focusing our mind or working with deep breathing, but we won't have kind of a platform or a laboratory to explore the inner work of what yoga really is. If we do asanas without breathing, then this is something Patavi Joyce often referred to as just bending or just a circus. 
So we want to really concentrate the, the mind as we move into the asana practice by working with that quality of breathing. The breath is said to be the thread that ties the conscious and the subconscious mind together. So when we're thinking about the subconscious, we're thinking about the tool of asana as bringing us into greater and greater embodiment. So many people will hear asana and think, oh, well, the goal is to make some perfect physical form. But we always have to check ourselves when we think about, well, what, what is the purpose of asana? It's not to achieve some perfect aesthetic form, but instead to use the physical asanas as a doorway to greater embodiment and a doorway to kind of greater awakening of the, the, the awareness of the subconscious so that we're constantly aware of deeper and deeper layers of the mind. So if we have asana as a tool to greater embodiment, breath is the thread that ties the conscious and the subconscious mind together. Finally, we can look at drishti, which comes from the Sanskrit word drish, to see, to perceive, drishaya, the, 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 the seer or the seeing consciousness. We can understand that by working with drishti, we're not just looking at various points, but we're trying to concentrate and direct the intentionality of the mind. So we're trying to focus and concentrate the mind. And when these three elements are present, a strong, concentrated mind working in the conscious sphere, and we can do that by gazing at a single point of attention, while at the same time harnessing our attentiveness of our thoughts by working in inner drishti, then when this is present, along with the practice of asanas, and we're understanding that that asana is increasing our awareness or our sensations in the body, moving into increasingly more subtle realms of the subconscious. And we're coordinating this with deep breathing. When these three elements are present, no matter what your asanas look like, no matter what form they take, when there's breath, body, and mind, and these three elements are the foundation of your practice, this constitutes the Tristana method. And when one of these are missing, even if you do every jump back, even if both your legs are behind your head, even if you have a very deep back bend, if these elements are missing, this can be understood to not be the tradition of Ashtanga Yoga as Patavi Joyce taught it and in the lineage from which we've participated in for the last 20 years or so. So it's really important to always remember, wait a minute, is something missing from my personal practice? If the asanas are not working for me, is it because I'm pursuing them as an aesthetic goal? or am I not breathing? Am I not focusing on deep breathing? Or is my mind all over the place while I'm practicing? And how can I recalibrate to come back to the Tristana method? This methodology seems exceedingly simple. However, we, when we go, go in deeper into the practice, we understand that to actually have our attention simultaneously distributed around these three pillars each time we practice, in fact, is very challenging. So the mind wavers all the time. We lose our breath. Our mind wavers and we suddenly get desirous and attached to a physical form. So we sacrifice going deeper into the subtle sensitivities of the body. Our mind gets distracted and we're no longer concentrating the mind. We're thinking of this and thinking of that. So we realize after many years that oh, this is a very deep method. When the asana and our bodies and our sensations in the bodies, when our breath and our window in between this conscious and the subconscious mind, and when our conscious mind, when those three, three elements are fully aligned, these are the moments when we practice and we feel, oh, this practice tapped into something very, very deep. And it's an experience that is so much deeper than what the form looks like. 
And so I feel this is what Patabi Joyce is, what, what was really guiding us towards with these three elements, because without the, without the tripod, without these three foundational principles, it can be very easy to veer off the path and think you're still on the path, you know? So you can say, well, I'm concentrating my mind and I'm doing deep breathing. But again, if the asana is not there, if instead you're just doing something else, then it can have deep benefits, but it wouldn't fall within the Tristana method of Ashtanga yoga. So you think about that for a moment. You've probably at some moment met someone that said something like, oh, well, you know, I do my yoga while I'm doing something else. You know, I do my yoga while I'm doing my bicycle in the morning, you know, and the Patabhidras would say, well, you don't have any asanas. So this is not Ashtanga yoga you're doing. Oh, but it's the same. Right? Maybe there's some benefit for sure. People can get benefit from many different things. But in the Ashtanga method, when it's a, it's a sort of check to say, if these three elements are there, this constitutes the foundation of the traditional classical Ashtanga yoga method. Similarly, if you're doing deep, if you're doing um, asanas and you're concentrating the mind, but you're not doing specific having specific attention to the, to the breath in the yogic manner, then we might be doing shapes for performance, which are wonderful and require great discipline, but they might not be aligned to the spiritual intention of what Ashtanga yoga really is about. The promise of Tristana method is that because the mind must occupy three seemingly oppositional zones, the sensations in the body, the focus and concentration in the mind, and the breath, which ties the conscious and the subconscious mind. When these three realms are simultaneously activated, there is a certain sense of what Patabi Joyce would call shanti or peace that naturally happens. But this only happens after many years of practice because then we can start to penetrate a little bit deeper into the more subtle aspects of the teachings rather than graze the superficial levels of, well, what asana comes next? And, you know, where am I looking? Is it the toes or the nose? And, and, and so when we get deeper down into the surface for many years of practice, that's when those more, you know, more life-changing results start to happen. And then we can, you know, carry those lessons forward. Now, this is as Patabi Joyce has presented it, um, there are many parallels of this aspect of teaching that we can find throughout many classical texts. Along those lines, I think, Tim, you wanted to talk a little bit about where we find it in the Yoga Sutras. <clears throat> yes, but before we do that, can we just try to do what Kino just talked about? So, can we do an asana? I'd like us all to do Udvatana Rasana. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can we try to do Janushivsasana A? It's not so bad, right? So just very easy. Doesn't need to be your deepest Janushivsasana ever. Just like I'm doing my left side for some reason. <clears throat> and um, so this whole the principle about the Tristana method is for me was something I read in books and I was like, yes, this is very important. And then at some moment, um, I realized that it's a concrete thing. Like I started to work with it. I, I started to realize that working with it as a concrete object was very, very useful instead of just having it as a great idea out there. So I thought we could just try that for a moment. So right now we're setting up the body and then just come a little bit more forward. Choose a grip, doesn't need to be your Deepest grip, just this is reasonable representation of how we do it in class. So 
now placed my body into uh, this shape. And then just like notice, there's probably part of you that says, kind of like semi-conscious, that says, I'm not quite there. You know what I mean? It's like, this is not, I should be deeper. I should, I should twist a little more. I should this, I should that. So <clears throat> then you try to do that. You go a little bit for those things, like all that stuff we've learned. And then like we're not doing. And then like we try to do a little better. And now you're probably a little bit deeper into it. And then still that voice is there. Oh, I could also do a little here. And this is a little bit like there. And my hamstrings like this. And so this is the body talking. This is the body presenting an object for the mind. And the mind is really engaged in that. So right now, the, the, like all of us, our conscious mind and all everything is just um, moving towards this physical goal, which is the asana. It is great. Not a problem with that at all. But as Keenan was talking about, if we don't catch ourselves, that becomes the only thing. So we are saying we want to work with the external body as we're doing now. And at some moment when we've come to not perfection, because that's a theoretical point, but at some moment when we come to a place where this is a reasonable asana for today, then we check in with them two other systems. And the next system is our what we could call our subtle body, what Keen was talking about, a subtle body, our um, sukshma sharira. Sukshma means subtle, sharira means body. So now we check in there. So what is the subtle body? At first it's the breath. So I think that the first rudimentary uh, interface with the subtle body is our breath when we do asana, when we do Ashtanga yoga. I think this is why Krishnamacharya and Patabh Josh talks about the breath. So we got the asana, we're there, we're fine. Now we think it's all right, then we move on to the subtle body. We take the breath as our object. So take a moment and just tune into your breath. And you probably know a lot about breath, with jai breath and deep breathing with sound and free breathing with sound and the Venn diagram between those three perspectives of the same thing. And then insert that into the asana. And see if you can get as interested in that as you were in your body and just scan your breath and what it does to you. And then at some moment, the breathing, the breath is also at a decent standard, at a decent conditioned state. And at that moment, then we change again and we check into our drishti. So what is the drishti? The drishti is the gazing point of the eyes, basically meaning control your senses, pratihara. So we start with the eyes because that, that is 75% basically of our external orientation. So we start with our eyes. Find a drishti, you can do your big toe, you can do your nose, you choose. And along with that, just put your mind on your mind. What's going on in your mind? Is it involved in this activity? Or is it somewhere else? Or is it kind of involved, but there's a shimmer, there's a veil, there's a scramble, stuff from the past, things of the future. It's just kind of like scrambling you right now. 
And if there is, the proposition is try to control that. As in, if it's necessary, well, you, you can keep it. But if it's not necessary, most of the time it's not necessary. It's just like bad habit of fussy mind. Then remove the fussy mind so your mind can become truly useful to you, helpful in this moment. And just see if you can allow mindness, which is not really useful right now, to just drop away. And then you can roll over it again, your body, your breath, your mind. Then inhale, come up. And exhale, let go. Does it make sense? So, we go into the body, we set up the body reasonably. When the body is set up reasonably, then we set the breath up reasonably. As we're setting the breath up reasonably, um, the concentration deepens and we start to get more focus. And as we are finding that and the breath is coming to a reasonable state, then we change and we put our mind on the mind and we just observe the mind the same way we observe the body, the same way we observe the breath. And we figure out if the mind is where we want it to be. Just like here I am, I'm doing Jangji Shasana A. Oh, I forgot to bend the knee. Oh, I have to pull it in here. Okay. Oh, I'm looking in the wrong direction. I'm bending the neck in the wrong direction. Oh, I put here. Same with the breast. Oh, it's a little short. Oh, it's a little long. Oh, and then the next level of subtle body would be include the internal activity of the bandhas, just like we're already doing a little bit in the throat. Also put pelvic floor. Also check your diaphragm, make sure that they are where you want them to be. And then after that, that leads us deeper into the mind and then do the same with the mind. Good. Is my mind here? Where's my senses? And then, um, is there any thoughts? Is there any like, you know, when you put your hands in your pockets? And then there's like some like fuss in the pockets, you know, that kind of thing. The same with the mind. It's like, if we, it's like I washed it with some weird stuff yesterday, this t-shirt. So then the same with the mind, you go, it's like fuzzy. I'm like thinking about a pop song. It's like, yeah, I don't need that right now. Like I have this image of my best friends on a bicycle. Yeah, I don't need that right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like whatever is there. So that fuss remove and get clarity. So we move into Jyamshishasana A or any asana, and then we take a moment to concretely put the asana, the body, then into the breath, concretely put the breath and the whatever goes with it, and then the mind concretely. And we have five breaths to do, yeah? And maybe one asana, we focus a little more on the body. And the next one, we focus a little bit on the mind. The next one, we focus a little bit more on the breath. But basically, that's the trinity, that's the triad that we are looking for in each of these, uh, each asana every time. So what I find when I don't do that, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of there and I'm kind of not there. I'm like, oh, it's hard. Oh, did she say five yet? 
Oh, do I have to jump back in? Oh, I have to jump back in a moment. Oh, I'm tired. It's so hot in here. You know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff that just comes at us, all these stimuli. So I end up being those reactions to those stimuli or those conversations. And that is the opposite of meditation. Yeah, we're trying to find this as a meditative action. All right. So, okay. So much to say. Anything you want to add? No. Okay. So, um, oh, well, I mean, if there, there was one thing that you may have noticed is that you were holding that asana for a long period of time. So that th there is something to be said about, um, staying for a little bit longer in the asanas. If we want to really explore the depth of all of the different layers of what you can find within breath, body, and mind, if we go in and we go out too quickly, then sometimes we don't really have the time and spaciousness to explore the asanas. Um, so at some point, if we're aiming to really dive down and cultivate a, a meditative mind that's able to kind of penetrate beyond just the superficial layers of the mind and get into the subconscious, then it can be useful to think about extending the holds in some of the asanas or even exploring holding one asana for a very, very long period of time just to really explore the boundaries of what the mind does in those longer states. Um, the one thing that will happen that uh, sometimes is an intersection of the Tristana method is that the, the, the sort of rigorous pace of what we do in what's more commonly known as Ashtanga Yoga is the Vinyasa Krama or the Vinyasa method. And so this coordinates breath with movement so that then we can generate a powerful internal fire or a heat. And if we spend too long in the asanas, then we sacrifice the heat. So it's very useful to explore kind of when we may need to hold an asana for a longer period of time and lose some of that internal heat or fire so that we can explore the deeper elements of what Tristana holds while at the same time acknowledging the need for a sometimes more rapid pace in order to keep that internal fire and heat. So we can kind of feel that, you know, that an intersection of um, something that kind of, you know, cross-sects uh, Tristana method is, again, the Vinyasa Krama, which is the, the, the way that we generate a powerful internal heat or fire. Sometimes, based on various circumstances in your practice, you, it may be appropriate to hold an asana for, say, as long as Tim was holding that asana, to talk about, to almost do the inner processing work. But you may notice that your inner heat will decrease when that happens. And it's okay to consciously make those sacrifices at certain times. For educational purposes. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. or, or any other purpose, as mm. long as we're aware of it. <laughs> you know, it can also be a healing purpose, a therapeutic purpose. It can be, you know. <laughs> Maybe the floor smells a little bit of a donut from yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, just like, there's so much to say, but I just thought I'd pull out three, four sutras and just talk about these three principles. So when we talk about asana, there's two sutras that come to mind very quickly. And one is Tira Sukhamasanam. How do we evaluate our physical asana? What do we concretely work with when we are in the asana? So Patanjali proposes that there must be stira, there must be a disciplined willingness to, um, um, uh, what's it called? 
put strong effort. We must put effort. We must be disciplined and willing to do that. Another word I like very much for this is striving. There must be striving. What are we trying to do? We're trying to move ourselves from where we are to some place better, wherever that is. So, and in the process of that, some work has to get done. If we are willing to do that job, that put in that effort, we can we can get somewhere. That's one. The other side of the coin is there must be sukha. There must be a delight of doing it. There must be a pleasure of doing it. There must be we we must feel that we get something back. If we feel we get nothing back, it's really hard to keep striving. Then we can also add patience to the game. Then maybe we can say, if I put one and a half hour hard work into this, then afterwards I feel so good, so I can treat myself to two donuts and a cup of coffee. <laughs> so like some patience there. So it's like what's it called delayed, um, delayed uh, reward is possible. But if we can find reward even in the moment, it's even better. Like it can be very tiny, can be very uh, little. So I propose to look for this um, uh, sukha. Uh, my teacher, Professor Rao, Nagaraja Rao in India, he has a wonderful word for that. I often think about, and he says, hospitality. You must create hospitality within you so yoga can come as a willing guest, wanting to come there. So if we create a landscape, a platform, a room where there's no hospitality, there's just brutal, you better be right, then it's very hard to want to go back. Yeah, there must be some kind of satkara, some kind of love, some kind of care, some kind of, you know, hospitality there. So, and <clears throat> yes, enough of that. So, in regards to the breath, we talk about it in so many different um, uh, sutras, uh, Swasa Prasabhasa. Um, one uh, talks about that the breath must be Dirga Sukshma, that the uh, breath must be extended and um, subtle. So, we're not going, which is extended but not so subtle, <coughs> or subtle. Very subtle, not very extended. Combination. Like there's a softness, there's a kindness, there's a hospitality to it again. And of course, depending on which asana you do, sometimes just like putting in a drop of softness is all we can manage in the breath. And at the moment it can express itself more. So, and we want it to be there's, there's an evenness. It's not erratic. And as a matter of fact, when we are finding the breath to be uh, unrhythmical <clears throat> and um, uh, interrupted, kind of like, <laughs> like that, then we know that the whole body is taking a beating, that we are now working in a manner where we perhaps overdoing our physical ability. Our breath shows that. Yeah, so we can use the breath to evaluate our physical activity at all times. Um, so when we're doing that, Tathakshiyate Prakasha Varanam, Tandili proposes that this whole thing that we're trying to do with lift up the mud 
of uh, our troubles and our pains and our difficulties in life, our unfulfillment, our undukkha, that has the possibility begin to begin to lift, he says. Kiyate, uh, to weaken, to eliminate. Prakasha Avaranam, that the shade, that the covering over the Prakasha, over our internal light, which is existence at all time. <clears throat> it's uh, the deeper sense of self, the Svarupa, if you want, your soul, so forth, can begin to shine forth. So that is a promise he gives to us. <clears throat> so if you have little faith in yoga, and if you have little faith that Patanjali is our authority on yoga, then even though it can be hard to understand that just taking that breath is that powerful as it can uh, lift us up in such a way, not only in practice, but as a general um, uh, proposition in life. If you have little faith there, then give it a try. Yeah, just like say, okay, since he since I believe, since he says, okay, I'm going to keep trying, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, last, Dristi, is about concentration, it's about directing the senses. Uh, asana is about clearing the senses, and the clearer they get, the more we can experience, the more we can experience, the more vivid the life, the world becomes. When that happens, we need even more control over the senses to choose what we want to put our attention um, to. Patanjali talks about that in the Eight Limbs, amongst others. He says, Tarana, there must be Pratyahara, there must be control of the senses. Second, that's the only way to find Tarana, to be able to hold the mind in one place, to concentrate it. When we do that for a sustained period of time, an exact period of time he's proposing, then Tiana is possible. Absorption of the mind. Absorption is a wonderful state. That's when we forget ourselves, begin to forget ourselves. It's like we're just absorbed in our object. Really, really nice. Then after that, then sustained period in dhyana brings us into the possibility of literally losing the concept of self momentarily. So we can begin to, to become, to merge with a deeper sense of self, a deeper sense of knowledge, a deeper sense of the world. Or if you want to, to say, if we begin to be, to experience reality as is without the interface, without the scramble, without the tinge, without the sheen of I-ness begins to disappear. And when that happens, there's, a, there's that itchy, sticky feeling of aloneness that begins to wither begins to soften in general. So many things is, is promised from the country. Yeah. So much more to say. I think this is enough. Do you want to have them ask some questions or? We can do. Mm -hmm. I would like to have you ask some questions. <laughs> 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 The sutras, yes. yes. So the first uh, sutra was Stila Sukhamasana. Uh, wow, you're big. <laughs> is that 245, 246? Just, it's in book two. Just tell them to look in book two. I think 246. Tell them to look in book two. It's more than fine. Yes. Tatahakshiyate Prakasha Varanam is 242, 252, I believe. 
<laughs> they should do some tapas. Yes. Look in the end of book two. <laughs> and the last one is part of the the uh, Ashtanga Yoga chapter. So, like on the on the on the eight limbs. And oh, uh, actually, this is the first few sutras of the third book, the Taranantiyana Samadhi, and some some yama. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. I'm wondering how often do you find practicing helps just how it feels in your body? Do you find that there's been kind of a sweet spot in practicing every day? Do you take a day of rest? I'm just curious what that looks like for you, both of you personally. Go ahead. Um, yeah. <clears throat> awesome question. So I hear you talk from what feels right and also what feels good. So in Ashtanga Yoga or in classic yoga, uh, we try to, uh, we make sure that we are acutely aware of that, how it kind of feels in a kind of psychological sense, but all, and also how it feels in the body. But Ashtanga Yoga, proposes, yoga proposes, that only adhering to that concept means that we are bound in that. That we are now, if we should use a strong word, we are now a slave to how I, I'm a slave to how I feel. Does that make sense? If I feel good, I will do it. If I don't feel good, I will not do it. So, and there's the thing about yoga, the proposition is that it works even if you don't like to do it. Yeah. So, and the problem with moving into yoga from that point of view is that we will be under the gun of our sensory necessity for comfort. And if we want to move ourselves into a new place, hopefully a better place, then we got to shed a little bit of our comfort zone. Make sense? So the proposition in Ashtanga Yoga is you do every day. When you're happy, when you're sad, when you're tired, when you're on fire and, and like, yeah, I can do everything. I'm Superman. And when you, uh, when it's raining outside and when the sunshine outside and when your friend says, let's go to the beach and when your friends don't say, let's go to the <laughs> and so forth. So we come every day, except we take one day off. And the intention is to find that core inside where we are willing to go to have a buoyant relationship with our I want, I don't want. That's a, a bigger philosophical question, but that's basically the idea. Buddhism, many, many of these um, uh, <coughs> traditional Asian uh, modalities is proposing exactly that. Try to find a perspective on Raghadvesha, attraction and aversion. I like it, I don't like it. It feels good, it doesn't feel good. Um, that's why we can set in we call that non-attachment. So, I'm um, But wasn't your question, you were asking us what we do in our, 
personally? That too. I thought that's what your question was. Yeah, maybe, maybe I misunderstood that. Rather than the like larger, like I think you answered from the larger Ashtanga yoga yeah. perspective, but I thought she was asking like, I thought your question was, do you all practice every day? <laughs> and how do you manage? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I thought it was, yeah. yeah. But I was also curious, do you personally have this every day? Do you do other kinds of exercise or is it Ashtanga six days a week, seven days a week and whatever you personally do, but your answer is beautiful. <laughs> That's what I thought. You, you only do the theoretical. There you go. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think it's useful to ask the teacher, what do you do every day? Because, you know, this is like, do you walk the walk, right? Like, uh, you're going to, what, tell the students to practice every day and then you don't do it, you know? So, like, I mean, I think, I think there's a, it's a super valid question. But Ashtanga Yoga, anyhow, asks you to take one day off a week. So the question about the rest is, like, mandated within Ashtanga Yoga. So one day a week rest, it's a six-day a week practice, not a seven-day a week practice. Also, within Ashtanga, we're meant to take moon days off. So we have the full moon and the new moon, which is like, starts to be like cultish. But after a while, <laughs> you're kind of like, yay, moon day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then if you, and then there's also the, the sort of rest days for times of menstruation. So there's actually a lot of rest days built in to the daily continuity of practice. And then I think, I think Tim and I, we both consider every day that you get on the mat no matter what you do on the mat, that that constitutes a daily practice. So whether that's a lighter practice, whether it's sun salutations and standing, whether it's, you know, the going through your full practice or something like that, I think that, I think we, we really consider just the continuity of standing on the mat and doing what you can do to be consistency of practice. Um, and when I first started the practice, I wanted to practice every day. I didn't want any days off. It felt torturous that there was a day off. I wanted to do something else. I resented the moon days. I wanted to practice on the moon days. Like, I mean, when I started, I just wanted to like do it all the time. And then I don't know, like 10 years later, you're like, moon days are wonderful. Like, I love this day off thing. So I, I do, I do personally, I get on my mat six days a week. Um, if I miss a day, it's usually because of travel, um, or, and I do, I do my absolute best to respect the moon days and to respect my moon days and all of that sort of thing. Um, but I don't push myself every day in my practice, but I get on the mat and I do what I can do, whatever that is for that day. Yeah. I don't tend to do a lot of other things. Um, I really like walks. I really enjoy walking. Particularly, I like walking on the beach. This is, makes me really happy. I enjoy that. Um, I, I not like, I don't really, do, I also really like to do handstands for entertainment purposes. Sometimes I do that, but not as often as I should, if I wanted to see results, <laughs> it's more like entertainment. So I don't really have a lot of cross training per se that I do, except for walking. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm. um, does, um, should we so the so the idea with banda is that like any muscular activity it exists on a continuum and so just like you wouldn't engage any muscle whether it's your bicep or your back muscles 100% all the time we want to have a relationship with the pelvic floor so that it sometimes it's like at 5% activation and sometimes it's at 80% activation and that it's it's a sort of nuanced way that we're working with the pelvic floor so it can be released rather than just engaged all the time so first there's that 
then within that continuum, we do want to have an ongoing contact and relationship with the pelvic floor throughout the entire practice. Whether that means that it's going to be hyper-engaged, say for a lift-up moment, or kind of released for a flexibility moment, then that is something each individual student kind of needs to sort out for themselves based on where they're coming to their relationship with their pelvic floor from. So there, that idea of bandha is, is um, kind of like an energetic contact into the whole network of the pelvic floor, moving from the physical body into the energetic body, and that contact should be there throughout the entire practice. You are, I think if you do that, you're going to lift up to the moon. <laughs> Your lift-ups are already so beautiful. If you put bandha in, then, no, <laughs> then you'll have no more gravity. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the idea with the bandhas, with the pelvic floor, for instance, is to create a very favorable uh, condition in the body for movement. And if um, the, if we don't do, then the body doesn't work very well. So if you take a, a body that where the pelvic floor has completely released, that means that you have like a softening of this whole area which is supposed to like have some kind of buoyancy and now it kind of lost and now you got heaviness then that often comes together with the abdominals not being very strong so now the abdominal starts to give then the when that happens then the uh, all the organs they begin to rearrange they lose their setup their how they are supposed to uh, be placed and therefore, how they work inside, now these like start to hang down on each other. So now there's less um, uh, good function uh, in all the organs. Now, if you then have that condition and you walk around with that condition, it's like, <sighs> so that is considered in yoga. And maybe we can even feel it some days if we like overeat a little bit, something like this, we're super tired. Everything goes, <sighs> So that's considered a state where we lose our energy, we get more tired, depression is more likely, all kinds of diseases are more likely. So um, just from that very rudimentary uh, point of view, the idea is if you get your pelvic floor back, if you get a little bit of your abdominals back, then the whole thing begins to shape up. You get better function of your organs, better function of your body, better function of your mind. It brings you back to a more healthy state of mind. Now, if you then want to do high performance and lift up and jump back, stuff like that, then engage more into that and you get even more of that going on in the body. I thought it was just inhale. Yeah, so, but let's take a look at that. So the inhale, how do you inhale? Do you do free breathing exactly? Or do you do free breathing with sound? Do on the ujjayi? Where does that come from? Yeah, that's a bandha. All right, ready, right? So that's a top bandha. So you're already using one here. <clears throat> so if you want to do that even better, you insert, this is a floor, by the way. This is an internal floor of your cervical spine. And then you insert the pelvic floor also. And that will affect that it's easier and deeper the breath comes in and then that will affect your diaphragm to open up so now you get even better breath so they support each other in that way sometimes i used to say always more banda. So.
Not in the rest, though. When you take rest, no, no abundance. Or when you poop. <laughs> or when you sleep at night. Let go of it there. <laughs> or ladies' holiday. You sign up for one world with British Airways. I'm <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. No, I mean, there's, there's lots of opportunities to continue your practice with us. Um, we're starting to put a little more emphasis on teaching the classical Mysore style method. Um, we've just concluded a one-month course, and in the future, we're going to be developing here in Miami a month of Mysore, where we'll just practice, we'll offer Mysore classes in the morning, and it'll primarily be focused on just getting giving people the opportunity to continue their practice. So it won't be a training or something like that, but there will be additional classes that are optional. But we'll be teaching for a month, and next year we won't be doing that together because our schedules were already set. But Tim's teaching the last two weeks of May, and I'm teaching the first two weeks of June. And there's the option to come for a week, two weeks, three weeks, or the full four weeks. And then next next year, so 2025, we've already set up. I think that we'll be here for four weeks in June, and we're going to try to make this. It, we'll see how it goes, but if it goes well, we'll try to continue that as kind of a Mysore teaching season in Miami with the two of us where people can come and continue their practice and develop that regularly. In addition to like the, the week-long Mysores that we do in, here in Miami and the retreats that we're leading in different places around the world. So if you want to continue practice with us, you can find us online here and there in person here and in person other places. But the best thing to continue to develop your practice is to come to more than just like a weekend workshop, but come to a place where you can do like a, a, some Mysore classes, a week, at least a week of practice to kind of get, keep getting established in the practice and give yourself a chance to get into the energy and work with it. Yeah. Um, so, Kina, we go for the same reason we go to Mysore about once, once a year to practice Shalaji, like to get the fire going. So we go there, we come back for a couple of months, it's like the fire's up. It's easy to practice. Everything's interesting. Then the next couple of months, it starts to plateau a little bit. And then when it gets closer to a year, it's like we need another refill. So we go back. So uh, that works really well for us, I think, for many people. When we practice by ourselves, uh, perhaps with a community or without a community, over a long time, like it's, you start to like wither the fire a little bit. So I know that's why you came this week, for instance, why I was just like, I needed a, you know, a little bit of banda, you know, <laughs> fire uh, back. So you can feel when it's time, when like I am happy doing my thing uh, with my own support, with the community, the people I practice with there, with a practice group or class or being online. And then some moments like, I need a little more. And then it's, you look in your calendar and your bank account and you, you know, what's possible, right? So, uh, if I could say one, one thing also, um, my understanding is if so uh, during this season of MISO that Keen and I were like initiating from next year, I think Joseph and Edgar, who's running my life center, they're planning to do some complimentary workshops with perhaps Kino and I in the afternoon or other teachers. 
So there is the possibility to sign up only for the morning or to sign up for the morning and the afternoon and get some additional information, knowledge, uh, what's it called, <laughs> training. Jan, I think you had a question. Yes, uh, you presented an interesting method, at least for explanation purposes, very sequential. Sorry, I couldn't mm -hmm. hear you. In a very sequential way, you presented the Tristana method, mm -hmm. the Chakra. So there's this quote like this that when the mind, the mind is still, asana is correct, and uh, he sees that there's a, a feedback loop, A, a feedback loop, and B, a hierarchy of importance, then the components of the Tristana method. And um, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on um, whether there is such a hierarchy. Um, and how it actually, like, um, yeah, is this experience uh, in your practice? So, is it really a sequential thing? Is it more integrated simultaneous? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. what, what are your thoughts on this, like, the, the process of experience, basically? Well, I, I think from a practical point of view, as I jump into Janusichasana A, the first thing I put is my body there. And then I literally change, like I went, I click over, try at least, and I could then click over to my breath, and then I click over to my mind. And then when I feel all these components like a reasonable now, then I do a now scan. And so I might do another scan. Yes. So that just in some way there is a hierarchy. That doesn't mean one is more important than the other. If anything, it's the last one that's the most important. But I can't get to that unless I set the other one up while practicing. I can't do that if I just sit, but I can't do that there. Even not sitting, I also need to keep my asana, my seat. Um, but then after that, it becomes a co-mingling. It becomes a try to figure out which one needs more work of these three. I feel that what's useful is to go back and think of the question of what is yoga and we're using these different things which we can measure to help us experience the state of yoga. So if we can understand that these things are metrics, measurements that we can, you know, objectively see and place and touch and, and work with, then these are things which can be measured, operationalized, systematized, um, and, and fun like optimized for function and these sorts of things, but none of those things are the yoga. So if we can understand that, then the question of hierarchy almost dissipates entirely because whatever is useful in the moment to bring you into the state of yoga, do that. So sometimes it may be more appropriate to put all your emphasis on breathing, but doesn't mean the breath is higher in the hierarchy, but that may be useful to bring you into the state of yoga. Then at some moment, you may find that actually just sitting and working only with the mind will bring you in deeper into the state of yoga and do that. You may find that asanas, really, really working hard, challenging asanas and letting that be the focus, the burning sensations in the muscles and the presence with all of the kind of hard, meaty physicality of the asanas, that that's what's the bring you into the state of yoga. Do that. So it's a little bit like once we understand that yoga is not a Thing, but a state or even a construct, we could say, then we, then any of the tools that we use to bring us into that state are, are valid and useful whenever they're valid and useful so that we can use them. And as long as we're using them towards the state of yoga, they're extremely useful while understanding that they're constantly in flux. 
constantly in flux. And if one is, is one is more relevant for a period of time, wonderful. But it doesn't mean that we should make that permanently the one that's most important. And it may be different student to student. Of course, it will be different student to student. So in that way, we can understand that these are wonderful tools. And when we use them to bring ourselves into the state of yoga, then we are doing the deep work kind of of the practice. And then this also allows the form of the practice to shift a little bit as is appropriate for whatever we're going through. So for example, if, if there's an injury and we need to adapt the practice, if we can't do rigorous practice for whatever reason, and the practice needs to slow down, then we can still consider ourselves to be operating within the classical method uh, by giving a little bit of leeway around the edges. And again, understanding, okay, even though Tristana is extremely important, these are metrics, which are things that we can observe and, and, and sort of bring the intangible into the tangible. And yet I'm reaching for the intangible, right? Um, will you take out of that some questions online maybe? Um. When we say daily practice, do you consider the practice of pranayama also? When we say the practice? Daily practice. Daily practice. When we consider daily practice, do we consider pranayama also daily practice? Yeah, it's definitely a practice, but uh, without doubt and a very... efficient one. Um, but in Ashtanga Yoga, we're talking about we want that asana practice. Tab Joyce, Sharaji, very interested in that we do the physical practice. The physical practice is doing so many things for us. It makes us healthy. It also opens up our senses so we can experience more and we can experience subtlety. And if we practice that every day, that's really good. If we start to not practice that, we will instantly begin to feel the body clog up a little bit. And then it's very likely that then the subtlety begins to not be available or the subtlety that becomes available will be one of discomfort. Like, oh, I don't feel, feel a little bit tired. I feel like I haven't cleaned out my bowels. I feel that like I'm less comfortable. So when we're in that state, then to go into subtle practices, much harder. If we have, if we use our, our asana practice to get the body as a really homey, comfortable abode, then instantly the mind starts to drop in almost automatically to like more subtle states, um, which will feel sweeter when the body has been taken care of first. So we are very interested in the asana practice. Now, if you want to uh, supplement with an, a, a pranayama practice, great, or a sitting practice or a japa practice or whatever that is, great. But we consider the asana practice important in Ashtanga Yoga. Anything else? That's all. Okay. So thanks and love. It, no, okay. There's one more question here. Yes, good. Maybe last one. It's already yes, time. Yeah, let's do last question. Good. Hi. Um, so it's my first time going to India this year. Ooh, lovely. Just wanted to know if there's any book or source or something that you recommend for me to read to know more about the culture and 
You're going to Mysore? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when? October, November? December, January. December, January. Nice. I'm excited that I'm fixing my life now, but everything will be right. Yeah. Yes, like there's a, a big book that's called Medical Diseases in South <laughs> India. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. You're going to be absolutely fine there. Yeah, I think Paige from, you know, Paige, who proceeds here also, she's going December, January. So what I can probably recommend is you connect with Paige because she'll be there during the time that you're there. And it's really good to have a friend on your first trip, someone that you know. But as soon as you arrive there, there's so many people that are practicing. You meet so many people. It feels like you're in summer camp for Ashtanga Yoga. (laughs) And it's really, really nice. Um, Yeah. I think probably your most important items to pack are going to be like sunblock and a hat and your yoga clothes and then loose fitting, comfortable clothes that cover your shoulders and your knees for the rest of the time. Um, It's colder than you think in the morning and hotter than you think in the afternoon. (laughs) So there's a bigger, dramatically bigger temperature range than, than say Miami. December, January, you, you won't, uh, you will need like a fleece or something or like that. Or a puffy jacket. And maybe even a little jacket. Puffy also jacket. in the morning. And a little hat. A hat. No you, can, you can buy down there, no problem. You're going to look a little funny, but it, you're gonna, <laughs> it's going to be fine. You can buy there. Whatever you forget to bring, you can buy there, no problem. I, the sunblock. I recommend <laughs> to bring from home. <laughs> And, and as Kino says, there's, there's going to be a complete support structure for you there, meaning you're going to meet someone that says, oh, you don't know where that shop is? I'll take you. Oh, you're looking for this? Come with me. I know where that is. Oh, what do you need? How can I help? Because we've all been there. We've all, like you, came the first time and didn't know anything and going, oh, my God, the world's a big place. So there's, everyone is just willing to share and people have time to share. So you're going to feel, find that. No mm-hmm. problem. You, and you know what? You're going to have such a good time. Maybe one more. Is there last, another one last, there? Last. Or they're just long? Thank you. No. Oh, for the for a human being. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably not. But Miami Life Center will be offering training courses that will cover a very, very similar curriculum. And it may intersect with when we do the four weeks of Mysore. So there will be paths to continue your educational learning within the sort of formal 200 hour, 300 hour program within under the Miami Life Center umbrella. Um, We felt that after there are a couple of things that have gone on for us, which is that We've been leading this um, API in its current form for many years. And at the same time, we have a growing body of students that have been former graduates of the course or who have practiced with us um, in other immersions and different places that want to continue their practice with us, that maybe don't want to repeat the course again. So we want to make ourselves available to create sustenance over the long term for people's practices. So this is why we want to focus on teaching in the classical method. Uh, And then within the Miami Life Center umbrella, there will be paths for continued education and training um, that will 
follow those more formal kind of hourly requirements, if that's something that's interesting for you. And there will be ample opportunities con to continue deepening your learning with us as well. Um, especially for local people, there may even be uh, more sustainable options to follow that path because, you know, especially for people that live in like within the community, taking a full month off of work, for example, can be very, very challenging for people that travel. It's sort of like, okay, I'm traveling, I'm going there. Like you're going two months to Mysore. Somehow I feel when you, like when you travel, it's almost easier to take the time off because people accept they're gone. You know, yeah. when you're at home, you're like, I'm, don't talk to me. I'm doing this course. Like everybody still talks to you and you have to go and do everything. So within, especially for local students, that like keep an eye out for that and be sure to, you know, communicate to Joseph and Edgar that that's a track that's interesting for you. And then when those things start to uh, take more shape, they'll, they'll be the first to be notified. Yeah. Also, I think from my life center kind of programming point of view, there started to be like the Ashtanga practitioners intensive, the Ashtanga online intensive the Ashtanga training started to be a little crowded. So it was a good idea perhaps to like consolidate and try to figure out what are we focusing on. And so, so I think that was also part of the conversation. I mean, we like, see our, what will happen. part of our dream is that our season here turns into like a mini Mysore and that maybe we end up doing like batches of students and you know, that once people get the feeling of, well, this is when we're here, that then we'll, we'll see people again and again and develop a long-term relationship with them. And, you know, so uh, we were really inspired when our teacher Shadaji was here and there were so many students and we kind of felt like, wow. This and, and he was too, by the way. <laughs> yes. He had a really good experience. Yeah. Yeah. So. We tried to, to put him out of business slowly. No. <laughs> Good. Yes. Good. Okay. Well, thank you for coming today. And uh, have a good summer. And we'll see you soon. And who's teaching next week? Ay, ay, ay. Ay, ay, ay is teaching next week. <laughs> So if, maybe you know already, but every Saturday we will have rotation of teachers from Miami Life in the teaching. So, and we all from the Ashtanga tradition, and we all kind of agreeing about how to pursue the Ashtanga tradition. I think very much. So. Esmeralda. Oh, she's lovely. Yes, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, online people. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS, and that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, 
I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.